My name is Jason Fisher. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm here with Blake Williams, also a pastor at our church. Hello, good people. And we are going through the whole story in a year as a church. And so we're in Genesis, Exodus right now, heading into um, other sections of the Old Testament. But uh, today we want to uh, talk a little bit more about Genesis. Yeah, we only got a chance to discuss the first few chapters, and we really kind of went hard on the the Nephilim and dug into that. So yeah, want to look a little more at 12 to 50. Yeah. <laughs> that small section. Yeah. You got several hours. <laughs> no. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that in just a moment. Um, Blake, before we look at 12 through 50 of Genesis, will you just kind of uh, recap like the the overarching um, movement of the story of of the of the Bible and and where we're at in the reading of it, but also where we are actually as people. Yeah. So one of the illustrations that we've used a handful of times, and we we reference this book a lot, but it's called the Drama of Scripture, and yep. it's written by Mike Goheen and Craig Bartholomew, and. Uh, in it, they borrow this idea from N.T. Wright, who's a scholar and theologian, and N.T. Wright discusses kind of these five acts uh, of a play, and that's how he discusses when he's talking about Scripture. So he talks about creation, sin, uh, the nation of Israel, Christ, and the church. And yeah. then as, when, the five, as the five separate acts. Those are the five acts. Yeah. And then Bartholomew and Goheen add a sixth act, which is this uh, consummation of the story, right? It's the new kingdom. At the end of the story, God is going to come down. He's going to renew all things. And so they kind of add this prologue in understanding here is what the story is. This is one story. So when we started this series, we started it with this in mind, that the idea is this is one whole story. And it starts in the beginning with God and creation. And so you see this in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation account, and God creating everything ex nihilo, right? Out of nothing. He speaks all of this into existence. Everything we know, everything we see, and he keeps reiterating the same phrase that it is good, it is good, it is very good. And uh, once creation is set and established, we see that in Genesis 1 and 2, and then Genesis 3 comes around, and this is the fall. This is the second act. This is where sin enters into the picture. And uh, through the temptation of Adam and Eve, through the eating of the fruit, they're expelled from the garden, and there is a shift in this relationship with God where they have broken a covenant, they have broken relationship with him, and God seeks this way to reestablish that. And then we move into the third act in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, you have this picture of Abram, and Abram is told in verses 1 through 3 that I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. And so uh, we've carried that language. Uh, Jason shared that language when he preached. That is still true for us, that we are blessed to be a blessing. And so this is 
the challenge, the promise, the covenant with the nation of Israel that they are to be a blessing to the nations in the name of God who blesses them. And that takes us all the way to Jesus on the cross, mm-hmm. right? So Act 3 is really long. Act 3 is very long. You're going it's, Genesis it's 12 Testament. all the yeah. way up to Matthew, yeah. right? And then in the birth of Christ, you have this beginning of this fourth act. And this is the very Son of God coming uh, into this world, living a perfect and sinless life, dying on the cross for the sins of the people. And in that death, burial, and resurrection, we have the forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. And Jesus gives a couple different commissions at the end of his time on earth. So he has this piece in Matthew 28 that is, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I command you. And then right before his ascension, you see this piece in Acts 1.8, where he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. And so he tells them what they're to do and where they're to do it. And that uh, throughout the church age, this is this this fifth act that we step into with the church. That is what we are called to do. And that's the point where we right now find ourselves in the story. So we are in the fifth act. And what I love about the way that Goheen and Bartholomew describe this is they say, if you were to pick up the script of this story, you would have a complete first four acts, mm-hmm. right? So we can read through the Bible and we can see the first four acts and you get to Revelation and you can read the sixth act. You know how the story ends, but you don't know how we're going to get through the rest of Act 5. All you have to go off of is the story that's led up to this point, the characters in the story, and the character of God who oversees and writes this story. Yeah, And it's such a beautiful picture because we who are living in the story are now the actors who are essentially having to improv our way through this thing but we are given really good guidelines on how to live into this story. Yeah. And so we're gonna reference that kind of throughout this, this series, this year, uh, talking about where we are in the story, in the whole story, and continually reminding everybody as we go through this, that you have a part in the story, that you are an actor in this play, in this fifth act, that we are barreling towards the consummation, towards this renewed kingdom. And our job is to depopulate hell and populate heaven Mm. in the midst of that. How do we go out and reach people with the message of Jesus? How do we baptize them? How do we teach them to observe? And how do we send them out on mission as well? Yeah. And anybody who knows me or has heard me talk any length of time knows that I love that concept of witnesses and that we are here and now to be witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom, that Jesus is forming us to be this, this new humanity to witness to his kingdom, to um, to show the world what it's like to live with Jesus as our leader. Yeah, and that should be, I mean, part of what makes this such a compelling message is that it's so contrary to what the world offers. Yeah. The world doesn't offer hope and peace and joy and love within community. All those things need to be earned, and yeah. in Christ they're given freely. Yeah, that's right. So... That gives us an orientation to the story, but today we want to talk a little bit about the beginning of that third act. So uh, Jason preached on this and talked about Genesis 12 through 15. He kind of gave us a picture of the four main characters that we see in this story. So Jay, why don't you give us a a quick recap of that, uh, and then we'll discuss that a little bit more. 
Yeah, so you know, starting in, like you said, uh, God comes a-knocking on Abram's tent and calls him out of his homeland and makes this big promise to him and, and that he's going to bless him. I, uh, really interestingly, the, the word bless in that first three verses of chapter 12 uh, is, a, is a, an, a response to, I think it's either five, I think it's five times, five or six times the word bless is used. And it's a response to the five or six times that the word curse is used in Genesis 3 through 11. Mm. And so God's doing this really big thing through Abram and his offspring and ultimately the Israelite people and Jesus and now us. So, mm-hmm. um, so we've got, yeah, Abram and Sarah and then uh, Isaac and Rebecca and then Jacob and his family and then Joseph. And those are, those are kind of the big highlighted people uh, really to emphasize this fact that God is starting to, God is starting to do what he promised he would do and that he would, he would use Abraham and his offspring to, to do something big to redeem the world. And uh, so I think it's helpful even just to kind of see the rest of Genesis 12 through 50 through that lens of these these generations mm-hmm. of people. And a lot happens with them. And in, when I spoke on this a few Sundays ago, it was uh, kind of characterized them, caricaturized them a little bit. And it seems like, you know, one of the things that Abraham and Sarah really dealt with was trusting God and there were doubts and fears. Um, Isaac is interesting because there's just a lot of waiting going on. The promise is alive. It's very explicit. God, God transfers the promise that he made to Abraham to Isaac. Uh, but there, there are some things that, that happened, you know, obviously, but there's just kind of this waiting. Uh, and then uh, Jacob comes along. And Jacob's a fighter. He's real scrappy. Mm-hmm. And he even he even wrestles with the angel of the Lord. Uh, and because of that, there's just a lot of discord and contention in his life. Um, so, uh, and then Joseph comes along, and his life seems to be marked by this, like highs and lows. You know, um, suffering. There's a lot of suffering that goes on, and injustice and. Um, he'd be an interesting guy to do like high, low Buffalo with, you know, <laughs> you know, being thrown into a pit. My brother's trying to kill me yeah. and taking over a kingdom. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so obviously these are real people with real lives and relationships. And so their lives are way more complex than that. Like I recognize they're kind of caricaturizing that, but it re- really isn't an attempt to go, how can we relate to these people? These are real people. Um, interacting with God in these unique ways in the midst of God's promise, uh, his presence. And, and one of the things that, that, that we see very clearly throughout Genesis 12 through 50 is God's faithfulness. Mm. The covenant, the promise is carried along by God and his desire and willingness to, re- to redeem his creation. Um, but he also does it through partnering with these people and continues to do that. So I think God's faithfulness is a huge theme of the rest of Genesis. And we see how that comes to bear on the lives of real people who are swept up in his plan for redemption. So, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really good. I, I had a handful of takeaways from the sermon, but one of the ones that really stood out to me in the midst of it was uh, God is faithful when we are fearful. Mm-hmm. And in different ways that relates to all four of these guys. Yeah. Right. And just kind of fear for Abraham in 
are you going to do what you said you're going to do? Yeah. I'm old. Yeah. I'm super old. And if I'm going to have as many kids as there are stars in the sky or sand on the beach, like you should probably get cracking God. Yeah. And kind of taking that into his own hands, um, at the behest of his wife and then her being upset with him, but just that, that fear from both of them. Yeah. And I know you've promised this, but are you going to deliver? Yeah. Uh, Isaac has his own uh, things to be fearful of. His dad tried to kill him. Yeah. Um, which is a tough one to get over. It's an awkward conversation coming down the mountain. Yeah. There's this, uh, there's this beautiful little book called, I think it's called How to Worship Jesus Christ. And he does a really good job of placing you in those moments mm-hmm. with Abraham and Isaac and how hard it must have been. And he even, like, I think he even describes like Abraham stacking the rocks for the altar with his hands trembling and tears streaming down his face Mm. because God has just asked him to sacrifice his only son. Yeah. Um, Which is, of course, like we look at it now, we see is a picture of Christ in the cross. But it's also a unique testing of Abraham's faith. Yeah. Because fear and faith are very linked to one another. Essentially, the thing you fear is a thing that you trust. Yeah. And, and God even says after, after Abraham is willing to do that, he says, now I know that you fear me. Mm-hmm. That's actually, I, I always go back to this because my favorite painting, I am not a, an art connoisseur by any means, but, uh, I remember being in Italy and, uh, we went to go see the David. Mm-hmm. David's incredible, right? Phenomenal yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, but over to the side there is a painting of this scene with Abraham and Isaac. Yeah. And he's got Isaac laid on the altar and he's got the knife raised in his hand and there's there's an angel that's swooping down and holding back his arm. Yeah. So that, you know, he was fully willing, but yeah. the angel was not going to let him and there's just, just kind of that picture. And uh, I, that picture has always stuck with me in my brain of just what a, a beautiful thing it is and what a powerful thing it is. But man, just so hard. Yeah. And I think about that when you, when we first had a kid, um, and thinking about the sacrifice, like, would I be willing to step into that with God? Yeah. Well, I'm really thankful God hasn't asked me to do that. Yeah. So, but he did with Abraham and, and so, but, but in it we see too, like we see God's, uh, provision, Mm -hmm. like amazing. Yeah. The ram just shows up right when it's needed, right where it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, we're always wanting to ask, like, how does this, how does, how does this story, this, this true story change us? And we're a part of this. And so if this is our script, like you pointed out earlier, Mm -hmm. like, what can we glean from this? And so um, I found it helpful to kind of ask, like, who out of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who do you relate to most (laughs) and why? It's a funny question for me to answer because my my first inclination goes to Joseph because I'm the youngest brother. Yeah. And there's that part of me that wants my siblings to bow down to me, <laughs> to, to be the savior of my siblings and really work that yeah, out for them. Yeah, that wasn't really Joseph's most shining moment. No, no, it yeah. wasn't. It was also a truthful moment for yeah. him. Uh, yeah. No, I, but I think about... I think about him, and in a lot of ways, the reason that I relate to him is not just because of being the the youngest, but of trying to make the best of any situation, right? That uh, you and I were talking about this. That is his mark. His life is marked by really high highs and really low lows. Yeah. And so, 
there is there's faithfulness in every place that God calls him to. Yeah. And uh, that ranges from leading the household of Pharaoh to being in prison. Yeah. Right. That he was responsible enough in prison that yeah. the prison guard was like, you run this place. I'm just going to sit over here and take a nap. Like he trusted him that much. Yeah. And uh, so just really striving to be faithful yeah. no matter where God's placed me. Uh, and I certainly have not experienced the depths of the lows that he experienced. And as much as my brothers would have loved to have thrown me in a well and tried to sell me, mm-hmm. uh, that never happened. So I don't experience the lows in the same way, uh, but I really do resonate just with that idea of make the best of every situation uh, that you're in, be faithful everywhere that you serve and trust that God is working it out for good. Right? Yeah. So he gives us that in Genesis 50, right? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Right. Paul gives that to us in a different way in Romans 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we, we get that picture. Um, so trying to live into that yeah. is really how I relate. But yeah. I'm curious how you would answer that question. Well, before I do, I think I think Joseph's life is interesting because you also, yeah, he's faithful, but but God's faithful. You know, yeah. God, he's with Joseph. It says that several times, and and even even in the in the jail cell, mm-hmm. even in the pit, God is with Joseph. Yeah, and I, I think due to just our human tendencies and nature and some bad theology. We think often that uh, when my life is going well, and and from my the way I would define it, it God is with me. Yeah. Hashtag blessed. Yeah. Hashtag blessed. But when when, when things aren't going my way, um, then God must not be with me. Yeah. And and typically, what we do with that, and then is try to go, okay, well, what am I doing wrong to get right with God again? You know, and it's just to be blessed again. To be blessed again. Yeah. And it's it's a right. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just bad theology. Yeah. The reality is that God is faithful even when I'm suffering. Yeah. And even when I'm experiencing hurt and hardship and tragedy. You uh, said something to that end. Um you said blessing comes before obedience. God is good to us before we ever feel like we've earned or deserved anything. Yeah. I thought that was really profound just in that, that recognition and countering that worldview or that thought process of, I have to earn God's blessing. Yeah. No, God has blessed us beyond measure before we ever did anything. And certainly it's not because we deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Peter picks that up in his first chapter of first Peter, where he talks about how blessed we are in Christ, Mm -hmm. but also there's going to be suffering. Yeah. And so just recognize that. And well, and you look at the Beatitudes, yeah, right? We right. have such a counter view yeah. culturally to what blessing should be. Yeah. And we don't look at those things and think about those who weep and those who mourn as being blessed. Yeah. And think, well, that's who God tells us. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, honestly, I probably relate most to Isaac, right? At least right now. Okay. Isaac's funny to me. I, I, I've typically just kind of glanced over Isaac. Like, there's not a lot going on. He's just traveling around. He's kind of, he's actually, with the account of Isaac's life, we get some interesting perspective on, on Near Eastern ancient nomadic life. Yeah. And what that was like. Raising cattle and digging wells and interacting with the neighboring tribes and all that stuff, you know. But all the while, kind of under the surface, the promise is alive. And he has kids, of course, Jacob and Esau and all that stuff. But um, 
I, you know, I, I, I think I relate to Isaac right now, just in this, in this kind of, there's this sense of waiting mm. and faithfulness in the waiting. And, you know, that, that most of, most of our days, I think, generally speaking, are, are just kind of, we get up and we go to work and then we come home and, you know, maybe we hang out with friends and do this, that, or the other thing, but it's just, you know, I'm, I'm remodeling my, my bathroom right now and just kind of, you know, I'm not digging wells, but I'm, I'm doing things to just kind of maintain life and, uh, just, just living life. And, and I, and yet the promise is alive. Like I'm not being asked to do anything drastic. Like Abraham was asked to do by sacrificing his, his son. Um, I'm not wrestling with God, like, like Jacob. And I'm, not experiencing the level of suffering that Joseph uh, did. I'm just kind of just living life, you know, and and hoping to to hear hear the Lord and press into the Lord in the midst of that. And um, yeah, that's why I relate to Isaac right now. Okay. Yeah. I do want to ask you a question. Yeah. Because you talk about Jacob and some of these these extremes and. I'm curious your take on Jacob's ladder. Yeah. I'm just, I'm asking you this totally off the cuff. So you yeah, may not yeah, have an yeah. answer, yeah. but I was just thinking about that the other day, uh, well after reading it, but just going back to, huh, just talks about him laying down on a rock and seeing people going up and down. And this was kind of this portal to heaven. And yeah. what, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think, well, let me think any thoughts I have about it are probably things that I've read, you know, from other people who are way smarter than me that have, have, have looked at these things. It's, it's a weird thing. I mean, he, he's having a dream. We've all fallen asleep, you know, with our head on a rock, but naturally. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) but you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, he's out there in the middle of nowhere. He's desperate. And I think, I think there's, there is a reality that we find ourselves in solitude, in desperation. God does meet us there mm. at different times. We may, may not be a dream like Jacob had. Uh, I think his dream is the way it is because it's meant to be noteworthy. Like it's meant to 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 remain in Jacob's heart and mind for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this, with this ladder and these angelic beings ascending and descending is sort of this picture of God's desire to reunite heaven and earth, Mm. that that was there in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned, Mm. that like heaven and earth were, were in unity with one another. God would come and, and be with them. And they still inhabited space and time, of course, but there's just there wasn't this division between it. When I talk about heaven and earth, I'm talking about on a real basic level, heaven being where God resides, it's holy and it's pure, and, and earth being where humans are and it's full of sin because of the yeah. the, the um, corruption of sin and evil in the world. And yet, a big part of this story that we're looking at of redemption is God's desire to reunite heaven and earth. Hmm. We see this certainly in the person of Jesus Christ, where when he goes around, everything that he touches is healed. Mm-hmm. It's made well. It's calmed. It's all these different things. You know, it's, it's, it's made alive again. Yeah. 
it's it's heaven come to earth hmm. and we in a sense um, get to be part of that as we are witnesses to Christ it's this demonstration of what life in, in his kingdom looks like it's what it's what life looks like when heaven and earth are united. So I, th- I think that's what's going on in that dream. And it's an image of what, uh, it's kind of a taste of what God is doing through his covenant. Because that's where, I think that's, that's, it's that dream where God passes the covenant promise on to Jacob. Yeah. Where he reminds him of that. And coupled with that promise is this reunification of heaven and earth. Hmm. That's awesome. Thanks for answering that, because that's probably the best answer I've heard in it. And in, well, like just a, it's not my answer per se. That's okay. You know, it's it's in my words, but I I think that's what's going on. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, creativity and ministry is forgetting who you stole it from. That's so, right. Yep. There you go. <laughs> I forget who said that. <laughs> yeah, probably me. <laughs> this really wise person. <laughs> initials are JF. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know what's happening. <clears throat> Well, this doesn't necessarily have to be a, a super long podcast, but I think that was something that when you taught through it, I thought was really good. And uh, even just kind of going back to these four main characters and then helping us to get this grasp of where we are in the story yeah. and that we're talking through this and we need to continually go back to this idea that this is one story. Mm-hmm. And I had sent you something uh, not too long ago that talks, uh, it's another um, author that I'm reading right now, his name's Sky Jathani, and he talks about this idea that every Christian has at least two Bibles. You have their actual Bible, which is all 66 books, so the Old Testament, New Testament, and then there's the Bible that we read, and this is what he calls the functional Bible, and it includes the sections that we regularly engage with, we seek to apply to our lives. Uh, This has different things for each person, uh, but some of it's gospel stories and parables and Paul's letters and a handful of Psalms. But he said, if you don't actively engage with the entire Bible, you're going to miss out on so much. And you really miss out on the story of Jesus, because when Jesus talks about coming to fulfill the law and the prophets, he's not talking about abolishing them, right? He's not talking about getting rid of them. It's this fulfillment, and you can't understand the fulfillment if you don't understand what was laid out yeah. kind of in the beginning. And yeah. so I think it's important for us to, to continually go back to this idea throughout this whole story series yeah. that... Again, we're calling it the whole story because it is one whole story yeah. from beginning to end. This is a meta narrative. These things relate. They are tied to each other. And although we get bogged down in the details, and especially as we jump into Leviticus and some of these laws, it's going to be easy to get bogged down. Um, but to remember that these things are here for a reason and that they're important. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a good encouragement for all of us as we head into some of these things. And we kind of read them and go, man, and like, what does this have to do with me? And which is already kind of a it's 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 a it's a misplaced question. That's a misguided question. Yeah. What what how, how are we to understand this? And I think it's important to remember, uh, like as we get into parts of Exodus and Leviticus, for instance, when the when the psalmist of Psalm one nineteen, for instance, talks about how beautiful and awesome the law of God is, mm. he's talking about these things. Yeah. He's referring to the things that were like ugh. What a, what a drudgery. Um, Jesus loved the law of God. Yeah. And that's what we're entering into and reading. And so we at least have to 
have to come at it through that lens and ask, well, why? What's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, good encouragement for us as we um, continue in this whole story. Blake, as always, a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Enjoyed uh, the time. To those of you listening, thank you so much for listening. If you want to know more about our church, you can go to heritagechurchaz.com. Um, otherwise, we'll uh, catch you next time. Bye.